You guys, I got dates. I am coming on the road to see you and your mother. November 1st, I'm going to be in Bridgeport, Connecticut. November 2nd, I'm going to be in New Brunswick, New Jersey. November 5th, I'm in New York City for the New York Comedy Festival with Ian Bick. We're doing a live episode of The Connect and a stand-up show at the New York Comedy Club. On November 15th, I'm in Dallas, Texas. November 16th, Austin at the Vulcan Gas Company. Do not miss that one. December 14th, I'm in San Diego, and then rounding out the year, December 21st, I'm at Zany's Comedy Club in Chicago. I got a lot of Chicago fans. You must come out to that one. It's going to be great. I love meeting you guys on the road. I'm so thrilled that you come out and see my comedy. Go to johnnymitchell.biz to get your tickets. Let's get back into the episode, and I will see you out there, America. All of a sudden, three guys come down the shed row, three big guys, six and a half feet tall, 300 pounds. I'm with the Winter Hill Gang, Whitey Bulger, and we control all these racetracks around here. You interested in making any money? I says, what do you have in mind? Today's guest is a man named Larry Rolla. Larry was a horse fixer for the Italian mafia for decades. He started off back in the 1950s as a horse trainer and a jockey, and he was soon approached by the Lucchese family and he became a horse fixer for different mafia groups throughout the years. This guy made a fortune in fixing horse races. He lost it all, he won it back. The Odyssey is incredible. He is here to tell us exactly how mafia horse fixing works. He also has a book out right now called Against All Odds, The Larry Rolla Story, and check him out on YouTube. Without further ado, everybody, enjoy Larry Rolla right here on The Connect with Johnny Mitchell. Get in the bucket, they draw a couple of bags of cement in there, and they start pumping some water in there. Now you tell me why I shouldn't let the cement harden and throw you the fuck overboard. That's when I see lights behind me start to flash. And I didn't even think, I just hit it. I was driving like my life depended on it. And then I parked the car, hopped out, closed the door, and I started running. And he pulls out a burner, shanks like six inches, and then he passes it to me. And he goes, here, that's yours. Don't ever leave the cell block without this. He was the reason I made it out of that place alive. You're a guy from Queens. Yeah. Okay, where in Queens? Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights. It is now a heavily Colombian Hispanic neighborhood, but yeah. back in the game, back in the day, it was an Italian neighborhood? It was It was Italian, yeah. It was right next to Corona. Wow. Uh, Corona uh, was all Italian, um, and, and Jackson Heights was all Italian. And then right after I got my mother out of there in the 80s, it, it I, I think at one point, it was the the cocaine capital of the world, right? Uh, well, because that's where it all came to from Colombia. Jackson their Heights. People. Yeah, yeah. They, they told me something about on Eighty Fourth Street or Thirty Seventh Avenue. There was a. That's where all the heavyweights went up. But I, I don't know. I wasn't there, mm. but I know the neighborhood. Every once in a while, I I drive past the house that we had there, and uh, it's. Um, it looks like Fort Knox. Is, <laughs> yeah. They have high gates. Everything is gated. Yeah. The windows, everything. Yeah. At Deep Queens, is, uh, it's rough out there. Yeah. You know? Uh, what was it like? Was it, uh, was it a mob neighborhood or was it just an immigrant neighborhood? What was Jackson Heights like back when you were a kid? <laughs> Wherever there's Italians, it's a mob neighborhood. That's true. It's, it's true. There's always a couple of guys yeah, getting money off the, the books. Bronx, the Brooklyn. Yeah. Or, yeah. Jackson Heights, Corona, um, it's, um, yeah, it, but early on, early on, when I was 15, 16, um, 
I mostly say with the guys from Corona, because Astoria was well, Italians, but a lot of Greeks were coming in. Corona was all 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 Italians, mm -hmm. and um, fourteen, fifteen, you start with the gangs and everything else. And were you into and, gangs? Uh, when you're 14, 15, and, and, and everybody, every guy is in gangs. Yeah. You just grow up. It's right. it's almost like a way of life, right. you know. But Italian gangs in the 50s in Queens are not, they don't have big Uzis, and they're not selling crack. Like, a gang was like a, a bunch of guineas with leather jackets and combs. The biggest thing. And switchblades, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> the biggest thing, what we used to do, this is when we were 14, 15, uh, uh, or garrison belts, them big motorcycle belts. Right. And you wrap them around your wrist and, and, and you, you swing the buckle. The buckle was Ooh. big. You swing, that's what we used to fight with. Yeah. Until one day, uh, because between El between Jackson Heights and, and, um, and Corona was East Elmhurst, all black. Right. So there was, there was, it was all black neighborhood. And when I went to, um, the, the uh, PS 148 was in Jackson Heights. It was all white. Then they made some kind of zoning thing where after the sixth grade, you had to go to junior high school, which was 127 in East Elmhurst, all black. I was one of three white guys in the whole place. Wow. And uh, we used to have ga gang fights mm -hmm. all the time, fight mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And every Saturday, uh, we used to have, I used to get the Italian kids and we used to go fight with all the black kids. Yeah. And that went on for a couple of weeks, and um, and just with garrison belts and fists and everything, and um, you got lucky if you, as they were swinging the belt, you got lucky if you grabbed it. If not, you got hit in the head. But yeah. um, one day, one day there was a, a my good friend who turned out to be a pretty famous movie star, which I can't mention his name. Oh, right, it's still he's still living. Oh yeah, uh, he came to me. We used to go to stand right next to one another. He was he was a stocky guy with bad left hook, but um, he he uh, he says, uh, "All right, when 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 I tell you stand back, just stand back. Don't run." Because I used to run and charge and swing the belt. He built a zip gun, and back then it was from a, a broke a car antenna and mm -hmm. one bullet. Anyway, he, he says, "Okay, stand back," and he pulled it out and he shot and. Black kid went down, didn't get killed. We found this out. He didn't mm -hmm. get killed. But it was then, um, it was about two, three weeks later. Every night we used to go out and just fight, just look for fights. Yeah. And I'll never forget, there's a, they were, the diner on 94th Street in Storia Boulevard in Jackson Heights. We used to wind up there, um, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the diner, and... Uh, my nose was broke three or four times during this period of time, and um, blood all over the place, head cracked open, covered with blood. And and I'm sitting there, and everybody saying, "Yeah, you see, I hit that guy," and then I'm sitting there saying, "I don't, I don't enjoy this. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I I love music. Yeah, I love racing my cars. Right, and I love girls. And yeah. I, you know, like." Yeah, Fuck street this. fighting yeah. doesn't uh, appeal I, I, I to me anymore. Enjoy it. Not yeah. only didn't I enjoy it, but I was lucky up to that point because I could never hit first. And 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 the way you win a fight is hit first. <laughs> sure, that's the one of the I only never, ways. I, I had to get mad. Right. I, I had to get mad right. to, to 
to to to to do to that. fire you and, up to and, go and fight. Once the guy went down, I couldn't pounce on him, and all right. I didn't I didn't enjoy. It. So anyway, um, uh, I, all I wanted to do was was race my cars, and uh, but that created another problem um, because you need money. Of you, course, you, 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 I had a room full of trophies and blankets. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I'd raced my my stock car at Freeport on Friday nights, mm -hmm. and, and, and my dragster and roadster at West Hampton. But every time you blow a clutch or blow an engine, yeah, you got to have money, and I had no money. Right. And uh, and 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 that's when I started uh, crossing the line. Great. And, and um, um, what did that look like in the early days? You just go in the gas station and you hold it up. You only get 20, 30 bucks, but, you know, yeah. you do three or four a night and you wind up with a couple of hundred. Wow. So you and, went on, like, stick-ups like that. Oh, yeah. That, that's what I'm astonished. That, that, by your whole story and your demeanor and you look like an old, rich mobster in Boca, you were holding up gas stations. Yeah, I was 15. Wow. Wow. Okay. And, uh, and so that was your first foray into criminality? How long did that last? <laughs> it lasted until uh, I blew an engine in the dragster, and I needed about five or six hundred dollars to buy an, another engine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would have to rob twenty gas stations, mm. and I was running out of places to rob. <laughs> running out of gas stations yeah, out there in Queens, um, because uh, during that time, every uh, you'd have to go further and further out. Yeah. You know. So uh, one day, um, right on Story Boulevard, 112th Street, there was a brand new gas station opening, and a uh, uh, grand opening. And I passed by, had all brand new tires and all new transmission jacks, because in them years, um, in the late 50s, all the, most of the cars were standard shift, and mm -hmm. they start switching to automatic transmissions. And them things weighed two, 300 pounds, so they needed these new transmission jacks to, to get them down. He bought all brand new ones, all red, beautiful jacks, and he, everything was new. So I said, that was, I'm going to rob it. So the night before, I robbed a box truck. You Would know, you work alone? Always alone, except this one time. Oh, okay. That's why I'm telling you this mm -hmm. story. Always did everything by myself. Didn't want to, and that, and that's the other problem with um, with the mob and all that stuff. I'm not a follow the leader kind of guy. I right. I, I got to do my own thing. Sure. I want to do what I want to do when I want to mm. do it. That's it. Mm. Nobody's going to tell me uh, what to do, how where to, to work. go, and yeah. how, and follow somebody. And and that's the problem I had even when we were 13. If somebody robbed a car, you got everybody got in that car, and and they okay, let's go. I didn't even want that because. I didn't want to go where they wanted to go, but I had to go because they robbed the car. So then I started robbing my own cars. Mm -hmm. But anyway, to get back to, to, to where I was, um, um, that's another thing I do. I forget if I go off track. That's I, all right. I, I, I forget. So um, I, I robbed the box truck, and then I realized that these transmission jacks I couldn't pick up by myself, and there were four of them. So I had to get a friend of mine. The first time ever I had somebody do something with me in my whole life. And uh, he helped me. We lifted the jacks up. He had a guy that out in Long Island that wanted to buy all this stuff, and we sold it. We made $3,000. We whacked it up, and that was the end of that. 
until three months later when there was a knock on my door. It was Detective, Detective Sands from um, uh, 114 Precinct. 114 Precinct was in Astoria, Queens. And um, they took me down to the station house, and um, they said, here's a um, sign this. And I said, what is this? It's a confession. He says, before you start all your bullshit, we have all everything that you took. We have the guy. We have you identified. We have everything. All we want to know from you is who's the other guy and sign the confession. <laughs> so I says, I'm not signing nothing. So Detective Sands, he was a big fat guy. He was a detective. He, uh, he got up from his desk. i never forget it. He had a piece of wax paper with cheese or bologna on it, and he's eating it. And he just gets up, he walks around, and he says, I said to sign it, and I says, I'm not signing nothing. And he slaps me. When he slapped me, I hit him in the belly, and then that was that. Two other detectives come, and they handcuff me behind the chair. Sands goes, gets one of them gigantic books. He starts pounding me on the head. And um, um, all of a sudden, my, my nose starts bleeding, my eyes, my ears, everything. And I was half... Half unconscious and uh, so he's beating you over the head with a book with as a book, you're just a handcuffed. To yeah, the well, chair. back in them, back in in them years, it wasn't. You have the right to remain silent. You, the first thing they do is they open a drawer and they put a pair of pliers on, and then they look. And if you have any nails, they just put the pliers on the, on the nails and they they pull them out one at a time until they do. You do what they want. That's what they did. Or they beat the shit out of you. Yeah. But I had no nails. I used to bite my nails, so they couldn't do that. Thank God. So they used the. Well, so you get the book. So they got the book. Guys, I got to take a minute to tell you about the new Lawnmower 5.0 from Manscaped. For years, whenever it was time to trim my jewels, my Franken beans, I would dread it because I knew those crappy Target bought electronic razors would leave huge nicks and cuts in my balls. I would scream in agony. I mean, you guys know how hard it's, it's the worst pain. feels like you're getting castrated. Well, thank God for Manscaped and the Lawnmower 5.0. This waterproof electronic razor greatly reduces nicks and cuts. That right there is enough to Toss out your old electronic razors and go order the Lawnmower 5.0. Right now, you can get 20% off plus free shipping when you use code CONNECT, C O N N E C T, okay? Uh, these are just by far the best electronic razors on planet Earth. They've got a battery that lasts for 24 hours of runtime. You can recharge it in five minutes. And again, it's waterproof and it greatly reduces the damage that you're going to do to your balls, and private parts when you trim yourself, okay? Once again, go over right now to manscaped.com and use code CONNECT to get 20% off plus free shipping. Once again, that's 20% off plus free shipping with code CONNECT at manscaped.com. Your balls have been through enough. It's time to go ultra with Manscaped. Hello everyone, here is a word from our amazing sponsor, Fume. Cold turkey might be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. And we're not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your crazy neighbor. We're talking about Fume, pronounced Fume, F-U-M-E, but spelled F-U-M. They look at the problem in a different way. We all have those bad habits that we're trying to reduce or stop altogether. 
Fume can help you do that. We've had Fume sponsored on the show before. Let's pull them up on screen, Brian. As you can see, these are wooden flavored air sticks. That's all you're doing. You're inhaling flavored air. It could be mint, pepper, cinnamon, wintergreen. It comes in a variety of amazing flavors, whether I'm on a plane, waiting to get on a plane, I'm on a call, around the house, in my car. It is a great way to replace uh, you know, those vices that I had, which were not healthy for me. Fume can do that for you. These are the, all the rage. These are flying off the shelves. This is a revolutionary way to replace that oral fixation that you got with those other activities that were just bad for you, bad for your health. Check it out. Fume feels good, looks good, tastes good. Uh, and in your hand, that it's real Canadian wood. Canadian maple that they make that little device out of. You're not going to regret it. And right now, they are going to give you a deal. If you use promo code CONNECT, go to trifume.com and use code CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to save 10% off when you get the journey pack. Again, that's trifume.com and use code CONNECT to save an additional 10% off your order today. Trifume. You will not regret it. They've served over 100,000 customers and have thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that that can't be you. Go over to trifume.com today. Let's get back into the episode. And, and, and cops from Queens are notoriously dirty, so I can't imagine a cop in the 50s. Well, he's not exactly going to you know, abide by the Constitution. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to... I don't want to say that because some of them were really good, but some of them were, they they had to do what they had to do to to, to make the pinch worthwhile and to you know. So what did end up happening? You go down for what it? happened? Uh, uh, they uncuffed me and they said sign it, and I says I'm not signing it. And he come around again and start beating me. I felt I got I fell to the floor, and they start punching me and stepping on my ankles. I crawled into the corner in a fetal position. And they had a long rod that they used to push the windows up with. And uh, they start jabbing me in the ribs and everything, jumping on my ankles. And I, and I, was, I was out. I was gone. And uh, I woke up in the tombs downstairs. Uh, the tombs downtown? The famous no, no, tombs? No, 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 no. Behind, I don't know about every precinct, but just about every precinct, they have three cells down in the basement. Right. They call them the tombs. Oh, okay. The jail cells. Gotcha. And it's in the basement. There's usually six, seven inches of water with rats as big as cats. And, <laughs> and uh, they left me down there from, I think, Thursday night until Monday morning when uh, they took me to uh, a hold'em cell in um, Queens Boulevard, the courthouse. And uh, that was the first time they gave me anything to eat, no, nothing to drink, nothing to eat. They just left me down there, covered with blood, busted up, couldn't breathe. Um, I had... Three or four broken ribs. I found this out later when, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that. And um, my mother bails me out. And um, up to that point, my mother, my, my mo um, she, she was a good lady. But I was the only thing she failed at in her whole life, mm. just trying to discipline me and trying to make me go right. Ever since I was a kid, I was just a defiant kid. Yeah. I wasn't mean. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And um, she, um, I drove her crazy. And, and 
Did um, you end up going down? Did you do time for that robbery? No, I'm going to tell you what happened. Okay. So she um, she bails me out, and I says, Ma, now I'm covered with bl- all dry blood, yeah. everything, just <laughs> my ears and my eyes and my nose, and I'm, I'm, I'm in bad shape. I says, Ma, you got to get me to the hospital. I can't breathe. My ankle was this big, and I says, I can't breathe. And she says, I'm taking you where I should have taken you two years ago. And she takes me into the city, and um, she takes me to her boss. Now, her boss at the time was Tommy Lucchese, Tommy Three Finger Brown Lucchese. He was one of the founding members of the Casa Nostra in, in Manhattan. And of the Lucchese family, one of the five families. The, yeah, he was the boss. He was he, the founding— he, he, he was one of the five founding members of the Casa Nostra in the United wow. States. It was it was it was uh, well you 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 know them. of course I mean, the Lucchese the, Ga- yeah, the yeah. Gambinos the Bonanos Genovese the Genovese and, yeah. and what's the final one is uh, Columbus Columbus okay so now what did your mom do for she she ran all his dress factories right. he had all dress factories in the garment district yeah. right he ran all his dress factories wow. she ran all his dress wow. factories so anyway she takes me up there. And she says, um, she says, Miss Lucchese, this is my son. She must have been talking about him for a while. He says, um, Bessie, leave the room. Let me let me talk to him. She leaves, and he says, sit down. And he says, your mother is a good woman, and she's um, my friend. And you're breaking her heart with all your nickel and dime bullshit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to go home, and I want you to think about what I just said. And if you want to straighten your life out, I'll help you in any way that I can, and you'll never have a problem, including the one you have right now. It'll all go away. Now, I knew who he was because he was. I, I learned who he was in detail when he, he came to my sister's wedding. Mm. Um, they made a big deal. My mother had to put a special table in the corner for, mm-hmm. for six guys, and and he stayed for about an hour, and then he left all. And did you know now what the mafia was? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, you know from the time you're young you're in the, with the kids. Yeah. You know, when you're kids. You, you right. learn from the time you're 12, 13, 14. Somebody's uncle's connected. Right. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. person's it's, with it's this all, family. Yeah. Right. The, okay. the 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 one that Chaz Palmateri did the Bronx Tale. Mm-hmm. That's that's basically it. Right. Even from the time you're sitting on a stoop, you're a little yeah. kid. On every corner was a mob guy in right. a club and yeah. And so so you you know, you just you're born into it. Right, it's, of course. You know, it it becomes a way of life mm-hmm. with every, everybody. Yeah. Does. And but s- s- most of the kids take that route. I didn't want to take right. that route. I didn't enjoy getting hit. I didn't the most, I didn't enjoy following the leader. I, you yeah. know, I didn't, I, right. I didn't like that. So anyway, um, so I, I, I leave, and on the way home, I'm thinking. I never ever thought about that about my mother. I just thought, oh shit, I'm gonna get because she never got a phone call that was a good one about me. Either I was arrested or beat up or in a hospital or in trouble and never got a good phone call, but I never thought about it. I always thought about what I was going to do, how I'm going to get out of this, I get a beat. And I, I mean, I got, I have a long sleeve shirt on. I try to wear them all the time because I still got marks and scars here because the belts didn't work. And finally she found a stick 
and it was squ- it was a square stick, and it never broke. <laughs> Everything else she hit me with broke yeah. except this stick. Mm. And I used to put my arm up like that, and I have marks all over here. In fact, I'll show you. And uh, so, so I, I start thinking about that, and um, and I really, really went straight after that. I, I says, you know what? I felt so ashamed that, mm. that I was hurting my mother that way because I'm not a bad kid. I wasn't a vicious kid. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I didn't want to hurt anybody. Mm. Uh, you know, I just... So uh, I, I went home, and I went to get a job. Uh, but the problem was I, 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 um, I, I wanted to get a job in a gas station so I could put my cars there, my Dragster mm. and Roadster. So there was a, a, a gas station on Northern on Northern Boulevard, which right over that guy that you had here before, he would know where it was. Mm. He's from Flushing, right over the Flushing Bridge, into East Elmhurst is where Northern Boulevard starts. And this is one you didn't rob. No, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> so now I went in there, and it was in East Elmhurst, the black area. Yeah, because right after East Elmhurst is Corona. Mm-hmm. Right on the other side is Jackson Heights, but that one strip there is all black. And uh, I went there for a job because it's open 24 hours a day because of a lot of traffic on Northern Boulevard going into the city. So um, I, I see the boss there in the afternoon, and I says, I, I, I know you're looking for night help. Um, I says, I'd like the job on, on the one condition that you let me put my uh, park my cars here and work on them during working hours. And he says, uh, that's not a problem. He says, uh, the problem is you're a kid, and, and we, uh, we get robbed here often. Mm. So I says, that, that's not a problem for me, as long as you let me keep my cars here. And the reason it wasn't a problem for me is because I was the one that was robbing a gas station. So <laughs> that, I, yeah. I had no problem with that. Uh, so I, I, I got that, that, that job. And... Uh, and for two or three months, I was one, and I had no intentions ever of going back into that bullshit life of fighting and mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. Uh, you know I just wanted I just wanted to race my cars. Right. And the the problem I had was that every penny I was making in salary, I was putting into the cars, mm-hmm. always fixing them up. And the problem is money. The problem is with, as with it's, most it's, situations. Yeah, the problem it's, is the lack always, of money. It's, it's always money. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Larry, I got to move you through. Uh, how did you end up going back? I'll get to that real quick. Okay. One day, I'm in a gas station at night, and a horse van pulls in. Horse van pulls in. Guy says, "Fill it up with gas, and can I have a bucket of water?" I give him a bucket of water. I says, "What are you doing with them horses?" And uh, he says, I'm taking him to Yonkers Raceway. And uh, we start talking, and I found out that you can race horses for uh, purse money. What that, is purse money? That if you win a race, instead of getting a trophy or a blanket, you get purse money, you get money. 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 The purse is just called the money. The money you win is called the purse. Right, right, right. You get a purse. So I asked him how much the purse is. He says it could be 5000 3000 to whatever. And um, I, he invited me out to the farm. I went to the farm. We'll, we'll cover 20 years in 10 minutes. 
So I went to the farm. He taught me everything there is about racing. Now, this is harness racing, not thoroughbreds. It's the harness racing, one with the cart and the bike. And oh, the, wow. Okay. Okay. And that was at Yonkers and Roosevelt. They were the two biggest harness tracks in the, in the country. And uh, he taught me everything about it. I wound up getting my license a, a year, year and a half later, and I went, went to R Roosevelt Raceway, and um, I start racing. And uh, my first year there, they, they didn't, first of all, they didn't want to give me stalls. And um, I, I, uh, I, 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 I called up my mother. And I had to call my mother because when, when I got my license to train and drive horses, my mother was so happy mm. that she finally got a phone call that was a good phone call. Right. And uh, she told Tommy Lucchese of my progress in a year and a yeah. half, two years. Yeah. I was behaving and everything else. And my mother, I, call, I told my mother I got my license. She says, come, come home. I have, I, wanna, I have something for you. So I drove home that day from the farm. And uh, she gave me an envelope. Tommy Lucchese gave her an envelope to give to me. It had 20000 in it. Wow. So with the 20000 I wound up buying my first four horses, and I applied for stalls at Roosevelt Raceway. I was denied stalls. The reason was I was a brand-new kid. I was a young kid. Roosevelt was a premier racetrack. All the top guys in the country were there, and who the hell am I? And mm -hmm. they denied me. So I was. it was all new to me. Um, I called my mother. I says, Ma, I bought the horses with the money Tommy gave me, but they won't let me race them here. Um, and... I don't know what to do. She says, well, let me ask Tommy. So she asked Tommy, and she calls me back the next day, and she says, just ship the horses to Roosevelt. There'll be four stalls waiting for you. <laughs> so I says, how, to, how did he do that? And the wind-up was he did it because Roosevelt Raceway was owned by Morton Levy. Morton Levy was the attorney for Frank Costello and Lucky Luciano and all of that. So it were, that Also were, founding members of the commission. Yeah. Wow. So th that, that's— I mean, a, the power that the bosses of New York wielded back then was truly presidential. Right. They were as powerful as the mayor of New York, a senator. I mean, you know, the Don Corleone and the Godfather, it's not too far off when you talk about the way those guys waved a finger and mountains were moved. Yep. Wow. And it was- well, I'm it, sorry, when you say drive a, a horse, are you talking about actually being the jockey? Yeah, the, the driver. The jockeys are the ones on the back. The drivers are the ones in the race bike right. sitting be, behind okay. the horse. That's the driver. Okay. That's what I did. Gotcha. I also right. trained thoroughbreds, but the thoroughbreds use jockeys. Use jockeys. That weigh 100. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So anyway- um, Sure enough, they got me. He got me the stalls. I, I was treated like a king, and uh, and uh, but I was very good at what I did. I was a student. I I fell in love with the horses, and I really did. And all I wanted to do was race. It didn't make no difference, cars or horses. Mm -hmm. I just loved the competition. I loved to race. I loved to go fast, and I loved uh, uh, fixing them. If they had problems, I fixed them. If they had whatever the problem was, I, I went to universities. I stayed with the vets all day, never played golf, never went to the beach. It was an all-day thing, and mm -hmm. I become very good at uh, maintaining lameness, treating lameness, mm -hmm. both in, in body and mind. Yeah. Uh, so um, I became very, very successful. Out of my first eight races, I think I won seven out of my first eight at the biggest racetrack against the best drivers, and they gave me a full-page write-up in wow. the newspaper. What kind of money are you making off that? Well, it was just, you start off, you, you make money. It was make maybe 5000 10000 each race that you win, you know, purse money. And In um, 1960, that's a lot of money. 
Yeah. For, a, you know, yeah. 19. How old are you at this time? I, it was, uh, well, it was really in 50. Well, it was CS 60, 61. Um, I was 20. Trying to make you feel good. I was, I, I was born in 1940, so I was yeah. 20. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, there's this little kid, me, who, who uh, the baddest man on the planet turned me into a good kid. And very, very successful. Now I'm getting calls from all wealthy people because I'm like, who's this phenomenon? Who's this wow. new kid? So um, I was getting all kinds of calls and 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 um, people were throwing money at me to buy them horses so I could train their horses and drive their horses. Wow. And I was and I was I was I was good at it. So then from there I went to Yonkers Raceway, which was in, in Yonkers. And uh, Yonkers Raceway was owned by um, um, a guy called Marty Tannenbaum. And um, he was a, a wheeler dealer, politically connected pretty good in the Democratic Party. I found all this out later. And um, I raced a horse one day, and I found this all out later, that um, I, I, I finished third with the horse, climbing over horses. I decided to sit in rather than pull out at the half and go ahead and in with the leader. I decided, I got locked in bad, and I couldn't get out. And what happened was Marty Tannenbaum was partners with a big gambler there called Morty Finder, and they bet 10000 to win on my horse. Mm. And uh, when I got beat, uh, legitimately, uh, Morty Finder, who was the one who put in the bet, says to Tannenbaum, that kid, we should have won this bet. He stiffed him and everything else. Tannenbaum picked up the phone and uh, he told the judge uh, to tell, tell him he got 24 hours to get off the ground. What does that mean? Leave the racetrack. I couldn't race there no more. Get my horses out of the wow. racetrack. You have 24 hours. Because you lost him money. Because, yeah, mm -hmm. just because he, he blew a bet mm. uh, and thinking I stiffed the horse, which I really didn't do. Wow. Now, at that point, Tommy Lucchese took a bad kid and turned him good. And this creep, Tannenbaum, who was a white-collar criminal, and for no reason became judge and jury and threw me out of the racetrack. Now, once you're out of the racetrack in Yonkers, <laughs> you're, barred, you're barred all over. So I called up my mother, and I says, Ma, and I told her what happened. I says, Tell Mr. Lucchese that I didn't do anything. I don't want him to think that I did anything bad. I didn't. And she says, well, they would just wouldn't throw you out. Yes, they did. The, first of all, the Racing Commission gave the, the Congress of the United States gave the Racing Commission the right to write their own rules and govern their own body. And... And, and that's exactly what they do. They, they, the, the outside courts never get involved. Mm. And, and uh, if you're the owner of a racetrack, just like the owner of your house, you have the right to, to throw anybody yeah. out yeah. that you want. And uh, he became judge and jury. And uh, because of reciprocity, you, no other racetrack will take you. But the smaller ones out of town, they'll take you because they need horses. Right. So now... I asked my mother, can Tommy Lucchese fix this? Because he fixed everything else. And she says, I can't ask him. He's in a hospital. He's dying from a malignant brain tumor. So now I'm basically on my own. I, I, she says, I can't ask him. He died soon after. He died about six months later of brain tumor. 
And um, so I was on my own, traveling to all of these small racetracks. It was it was horrible. No money, no... Right. You're it, on the road. It was just on You're the just road. just a guy on the road. To, yeah. yeah. And whatever Barely money I had ran out in six months. Yeah. And six months later, I was catching pigeons with all the black grooms and cooking, eating pigeons and grand mashes. And it was a horrible, horrible existence. Oh, so you were living like a carny. I, you were almost like a, a traveling hobo. Yeah. Wow. But, but with horses to support. Right. And they had to eat before oh, before me. Of course. And that's and, not cheap. And, no. You guys, I got to take a minute to thank our longtime sponsor and friend of the show, Mood CBD. Mood is the number one Delta 8 and Delta 9 products company in the country. And they deliver everywhere. Even if you live in a state where you don't have full legalization yet, Mood CBD can deliver discreetly and legally to your doorstep, okay? They have a, an amazing array of gummies, edibles, pre-rolls, uh, flour, anything you need in the Delta 8 and Delta 9 world, they have. I use their products every day. I use it for my injury. I use it to help me sleep. Uh, they're just the best. Go to their website right now, you guys, and use those promo codes. If you're a fan of the show, you know. Connect 20 to get 20% off anything on their website, okay? And then, of course, if you want a free five-count pack of gummies, use promo code CONNECTFREE, and they'll just send you a free pack of gummies. All you do is pay for shipping. Go over to hellomood.co right now and get you some. That went on for four years, five years. And one day, I get a sole application. Now, I'm penniless. Um, it, was, it was the worst time in my, my, my life. And I couldn't abandon the horses. I, I couldn't. I, I, it was, anyway. A stall obligation comes out for uh, in Boston for Lincoln Downs Racetrack. It was the first time ever that they were going to have uh, harness racing in at Lincoln Downs in Boston. And I applied for stalls there, and I got them. And they had a lot better purses. That's why I wanted to go there. So I, I get there, and um, the program comes out for the for the first day of racing. And I have two morning line favorites, favorites to win the race mm -hmm. in two separate races. And I'm sitting in the shed row, and all of a sudden, three guys come down the shed row, three big guys, six and a half feet tall, 300 pounds. And they said, uh, you Larry Roller? And I says, yeah. And he said, um, uh, I'm Tony Shula. I'm with the Winter Hill Gang, Whitey Bulger, and we control all these racetracks around here. And I says, well, that's good for you. And uh, he says, um, you interested in making any money? And at that point, I like as big and ugly as he was, I wanted to kiss him right on the lips. <laughs> I mean, when he mentioned money. But the other thing is, he come on like a real jerk, a tough guy, mm -hmm. you know, and I grew up with that shit, right. you know, the same way he grew up, the same way I grew mm -hmm. up, only I outgrew it. He's still, you know, he's, anyway. So uh, I says, what do you have in mind? Because whatever he had in mind, I was going to do. Mm -hmm. I just wanted yeah. the money, but I couldn't let him know that. So uh, he says, um, well, you have two morning line favorites. Um, just uh, we'll give you 200 a horse, finish worse than third. And Finish what? Worse than third. Gotcha. Don't be first, second, right. or third. Right. And we'll give you 200 for each horse. And what they do is then they take the other remaining horses and they, they box them or they, at least they got the, the favorite out of it right. anyway. 
which is probably 90% of the wind pool. So this, so, is, a, this is a good opportunity to ask you about fixing races then, just well, for people that don't understand. I barely understand. How does that benefit these mob guys that are asking you to intentionally finish less than third in the race? How do they make money out of it? I'll tell you that in 30 seconds. Okay. So uh, I says, all right. I says, uh, he says, just tell me the stall number and how my vet come and, and treat your horse, give him a tranquilizer or whatever they do. And I says, listen, I says, I want 500 a horse. I want 500 a horse cash right now until your vet to stay home. And he says, you know who the fuck you're talking to? I says, it don't matter. I says, if you want to do business, we'll do business. But you're not going to make all the money and give me 200 a horse. And there ain't nobody going, no vet going near my horse. So he counts out the $1,000. He gives it to me. And he says, I hope you know what the fuck you're doing because I'll be back in the morning. I says, oh, that's good. Just bring coffee, no sugar, and a bagel with butter. <laughs> and the next morning he came back with coffee, no sugar, and a bagel with butter. And he won a lot of money. So he says to me, he says, can you get other guys around here? to do what you do to, you know. Right. So within two days, because everybody at these small tracks are broke. So within two days, I got seven or eight guys. And here's what they do to answer your question. There's eight horses in a race, and we pay off four guys, not to be first, second, or third, mm -hmm. just to be back. Right. And then they take the other four horses and box them in trifecta races. What does that mean, box them so in trifecta? So they take... They take the first, second, and third choice. They pay them to be out of the money. Now, once the first, second choice are out, all the money is still in the pool because all the money in the exacta pool, trifecta pool, and the wind pool uh, with them horses. Mm -hmm. So if them horses are out of there, that money stays there. Mm -hmm. They box the other horses. What's a box mean? Say it's a one, two, three, four. They take them horses and box them no matter what combination comes in. Um, just like you're betting a number, you're betting um, one and two. Mm. You bet two and one. You bet one, two, mm. and then two, one. That's a box. If it's three horses, you bet one, two, three, then two, one, three, then just box them. So, so that's what they do. And um, and what would a purse at the, this Boston uh, horse racing track? What, what would an average purse be on a race like that? Probably $1,000, and that's something else that you should know. If the purse is 1000 or 1500 say let's say it's $1,000. Uh, the winner gets 50% of that, so that's 500 mm. The driver gets 5% of the 500 So that means you get $25 if you win. So if I'm going to give you two or $300, you are going to take the money and just make an excuse why the horse didn't win. Mm. And then you could always win the following week or whatever. So... Um, uh, everybody took that deal, yeah. everybody. And, and that's what happened. And that, and that started me on, on the way to doing fixing races. Gotcha. Now, it escalated. And the reason it escalated was because after about, after about maybe a month, from being broke, I had about twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000. That wow. was my end that he was wow. giving me. Plus he was so one night he's leaving. One day he's leaving, and he says, "Oh, by the way," he says, uh, "I have an edge on some hoops tonight. Uh, do you want any action?" Talk I didn't about, even talk know about basketball. Yeah, I didn't even know what hoops were, <laughs> but it was basketball. So That's what they play uh, in Elmhurst. He says, "He said I never played basketball. Mm -hmm. I was too busy doing other things." 
Hold so up he, gas stations. So, yeah. So he says to me, he say, I says, what do you want? So uh, I says, whatever you do for you, do for me. So the next morning he comes and he gives me 3000 and uh, he says, I got another two games tonight. You want, you, you know, you want, I said, do the same. So before you know it, I'm making more money betting on these sporting events than I am fixing races. Right. right. Now, was this so, guy just uh, great at picking them, this, this mob no, guy? No, he was fixing the, I found this out all out later. They were fixing college games and they were fixing everything. Wow. Whatever is Are in you Boston, serious? Yeah, whatever is in Boston was being fixed. They were fixing them. Yeah. And what year? This is 19... 1960. No, this was in 71. Okay. 1970, 71. Wow. Whitey Bulger was in full, uh, well, it was a w w Winter Hill gang, and then yeah. Whitey Bulger kind of took over. Wow. And, uh, wow. So, so they're fixing professional they fix, games, uh, college games, e everything. E everything. I don't know about pros, but I know the colleges. Yeah. And I was winning a lot of money. The problem with winning a lot of money is that um, I was getting hooked. I was getting hooked. Mm -hmm. and now I was more interested in betting on sports. And I'm skimming right through the years now. I'm going right yeah, through the years. Yeah, uh, good. By the time I get to Monticello, so from there, I, the meet close, I go to Monticello. Monticello now, I get involved. Um, Monticello. Raceway. Which in Monticello, is, New York. Gotcha. Upstate New okay. York. And I was so happy to get in there because it was a New York track. But it was a small upstate track, and they let me in. And they let me in mostly because the owner of the tracks, Charles Slutsky Sr., died, left it to his kid, Charles Slutsky Jr., and the kid didn't know my, my, you know, he just was, and he gave me stalls. Now, when they gave me stalls, uh, I won't get too deep into it because everything I said has a backstory that goes on forever. So um, they gave me stalls, and I immediately became friendly with Charles Susky, the owner of the track, who also owned the Neville Hotel in, in uh, upstate. And... Uh, uh, the reason I got friendly with him because the waitress in the dining room, who was I always had the table A seven, she was um, she liked me, and she was a good, really good looking girl, and she 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 liked me. The problem was Susky liked her, mm. so when I used to go to the Concord at night or go out after the races, she would follow and he would follow her. So before you knew it, we were a trio, mm. and, uh, we and you guys were both trying to hook her hook up with her. Well, I, I wasn't really, I, you know, I was more interested in you know, hearing the music and everything. But, you know, at the end of the night, you're a guy and you do what you do. And, uh, uh, but Slutsky was married at the time and he, uh, you know, he just had to be a little careful. He was left millions of dollars plus the racetrack, plus the hotel. He had to be a little, a little more careful than me. I don't, I don't believe that they ever had an affair, but he just loved being around her. Plus she was a beautiful girl, nice girl. So anyway, um, I, I convinced him to uh, to ask for every every year, every year at, at uh, around Christmas time, they closed the racetracks for two or three weeks for for Christmas and New Year's and everything else. I convinced Charles to ask the racing commission. All of them commissioned to stay at his hotel, the Neville Hotel. I says, you got all these guys staying here. They're all your friends. They run. Ask them for the dates because. Uh, the, the, your handle will go from 200000 a night to five, $6 million a night. Plus, at the same time, OTB is going to open the same year, the same time, November. 
I says, your handle will go astronomical. And a handle is what? The handle is the total mutual handle, how much they bet. Right. On, on, the total on, sum of all bets on a race. All, all bets. And OTB uh, must have been a boom to the racing uh, business, right? Yeah. Because now you don't have, it's off-track betting. You don't have to yeah. be there you don't have to, to put be money there, down on the horse. Monticello was an upstate track. Now you could be 150 miles away in Brooklyn, New York right. and, and still bet. Right. So the handle went, and it was the first year they opened, mm -hmm. the first month they opened. Mm -hmm. A year went by by then, and I already had my whole crew lined up. I had seven or eight drivers up there on the payroll, ready to fix races and everything else. Wow. And that's what I did. Wow. So now I'm skimming right through this stuff. I'm not giving you particulars how I did it, why I did it. I'm just, I had, I had so, a whole crew. So at that, but at this racetrack specifically, now you've got this million dollar, million dollar handle on these races. Many, many millions. Okay. And then, so tell us, you got a crew of seven guys. What are you giving them? And then what are you taking per race? And what does that add up to per month? And how what many I, races are you what doing? I, what I would do is give me, I would give me a thousand dollars to be worse than third. And then I would take the money. What I tried to do was say, I, I get, I bet I, I get four guys out. There are always eight horses in a race. I get four guys out. So them, them four guys, say I gave them $1,000 each. So that's $4,000. Then, then I would bet maybe another four or 5000 boxing the other horses and every combination, mm. as many tickets. Oh, by and, the way, are you driving? Yeah, yeah, still? yeah. Still? Oh, yeah. So you're making money and you're putting your own bets down. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so yeah. you're double popping. Yeah. Okay. And, and um, I, I, I had to do that because... I was I was making a lot of money fixing races, but losing more than I was making betting on sports. Oh, so you're already so in a hole. That's a dilemma. Wow, right. So uh, I, I <laughs> so you're a full blown uh, addict now. Yeah, on I, I was. Sports I, I, gambling. Was, I was. I was addicted bad. <laughs> oh bad. no! It got to the point where I I lost maybe a little bit more than a million dollars. I would, I would start betting with two guys. And um, one was uh, Barney Cutler, an old Jewish uh, Maya Lansky bookmaker. He was in his late 70s, 80s, lived up in Monticello, retired up there. He was taking action with all the guys. And um, I was able to bet with him, and I bet with uh, a madman called Cabert in, um, in New Jersey. And um, I started out, you know, five hundred dollar bet, five, you know, but I paid every Tuesday. And then the football season came, and uh, by that time I had excellent credit, and I was betting ten thousand a game, betting ten, eleven games on a weekend with each guy. Holy shit! So, now, so you got a hundred thousand on a weekend? Oh yeah, more out. more than that, more wow. than that a lot of times. So uh, I was making that kind of money uh, because of the winter meet and losing that kind of money in, uh, uh, um, on sports. Now, the Jewish guy wasn't a bad guy. He was a nice old guy. And I used to send this girl. There's a girl, Gina, up there, beautiful girl. She was, she was a good friend of mine, and we became good friends. And she was uh, my girl Friday. She would do the running around for me and 
And she was also one of my runners that would run to OTB. I had three other runners, too, go betting at all the OTB offices on races that I fixed. How many uh, races were you fixing on as a As many as I week? could. How many would that be? It'd be maybe 10, maybe 15. Wow. Maybe two or three a day, seven days, you know, 10, 15 races, and made a lot of money. Uh, what would you clear 15 races? Well, it was all different. One week I, one, one week I may, may make 80,000. I can tell you this. They, when, when OTB paid you, they gave you uh, $10,000 in uh, uh, like Swiss cheese in the shrink wrap paper. Mm. Shrink wrap is yeah. $10,000. It was only like not even a half inch thick. I had a whole drawer of my dresser filled just with them. The middle drawer was filled with all the loose hundreds and fifty, all the loose stuff. And the top drawer was all the bullshit singles and fives and tens. All of that was gone. All of that was gone by, by January. It was all gone. So I was broke, but I had excellent credit. But I, I had an addiction. I had a bet. I had a bet. And I'm saying, oh, my God, the weekend's coming. I paid all you paid every Tuesday. And I says, oh, my God, the weekend's coming. I don't have any money. And Kabert, I wasn't worried about Barney Cutler, the Jewish guy, because uh, Gina had him. She, he liked Gina. She mm-hmm. used to cook him breakfast and everything. Mm-hmm. Over, uh, I was worried about the other guy, Kabert. Now I don't know if you know who Kabert is, but he mm-hmm. was—he's uh, a, a bad, bad guy. He was later on to become Gotti's favorite button guy for, for whatever he wanted. He become part of the John Gotti crew. Mm-hmm. But he, up to that point, he killed 17 guys. He was just a bad, he was just a whack job. That's what he was. And this is a guy that you owe money to every week. Oh, well, I paid him every week. Right. I paid him almost a million mm-hmm. bucks. But now I'm broke. <laughs> and uh, I have no money. I just have an addiction. And, right. and, and by Thursday, I started shaking <laughs> that the weekend's coming. I got no money. So... I make up a story. I, I get a. I drive down to see him. I says, "Listen, Gilberto, I'm going to Florida to buy some property." He he knew I was racing horses. He knew I was fixing races, mm-hmm. and and that's why they, they between that knowing I was in big action and me paying every week. I mean, if I owed him eighty thousand or one hundred and twenty thousand, I paid every week cash. Yeah. So uh, I said, uh, um, "I'm going to Florida to buy some property, so I won't be. I'll be gone for two or three weeks." So uh, he says, no problem, just call me up, I'll give you the line, which I knew what he was going to say. So, um, and I told Barney the same thing. So sure enough, I go to, it was a lie. I just, I just had a, in case I lost, I had, I couldn't be there. Right. Because, so I went to Florida, I bet, first week I lose, I don't know, 70,000, whatever. And the second now, one, How are you losing so much money? Uh, you're just not good at it, or is this the nature of gambling? Like- well, w- w- we're talking about right now where I lost a bulk of it was uh, football. Nobody wins betting football. Mm-hmm. Out of the 15, 16 games, historically and in, 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 in statistically, the player wins three times. Yeah, You can't win. Nobody right. ever wins betting. If you were a bookmaker and you only took action on football, you become very, very wealthy. Right. Nobody wins betting football. So uh, so now it's in January sometime, of this, yeah, it was January, I, I go to Florida and I call up, I lose, I lose, I lose. By the third week, I lost uh, close to 700,000. And I owe each of them about 370, 80, whatever it was. So now uh, 
And every week I say, okay, I'm coming back to the closings next week. But that went off for three weeks. I couldn't stall anymore. So then I had a decision to make. You know, what what do you you owe a guy that that kills 17 guys for a whole lot less? (laughs) So do I run away or do I kill myself or do I go back? And um, I went back. And um, sure enough, this guy is there at the airport picking me up. And he says, "Uh, you want me to take you someplace? Get what he's waiting for you. I says, I got no money. He says, you know what you got? You got a problem. <laughs> sure. This fucking guy. 700,000 so of them. I says, take take me down. To and I, I, I owed him half of what, what I owed. Oh, I okay. Owed. I only owed him like right. 370, So um, I says, take me down to him. He says, I got to call him. I call him up and he comes back. He says, uh, he wants me to bring you down there in the morning. Next morning, he picks me up. He takes me down there, Atlantic Islands, down in Jersey. It's a big yacht club and with a big catering hall. Mm. And um, we walk in, and uh, he's sitting in the back, just like a typical mob movie, sitting in the back in the corner with two guys with him, drinking the demitasse with the big cigars, typical mob mm-hmm. thing. He don't say a fucking word. He just gets it's like gets up. He walks out the back. He walks down, and we're following him. He goes out on the on the whatever you call that thing where the boats are parked. Yeah, and uh, we get on a boat. And they make me go downstairs, and uh, they drive the boats out. About a half hour later, uh, the motor shuts off. The guy says, "Go upstairs. Go upstairs." There's a a bucket about this big, and get in the bucket. Get in the bucket, they draw a couple of bags of cement in there, and they start pumping some water in there. And then Kabert comes. And he says, Sammy let you go too far, and that's on him. That's his man who I was betting with. He says, you went too far, and that's on you. Now you tell me why I shouldn't let this cement harden and throw you the fuck overboard. And I says, well, because I could pay. And he says, you could pay. And he looks at Sammy, and he says, well, you know, we got almost a million dollars of his money. Sammy kind of stuck up for me a little bit. He says, um, you could pay? All right. I'm going to make this 370, whatever it was, a Shylock loan, two points. Every week you come here, you here with $7,200 every fucking week, Vig. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you miss one week, you'll be right back here with no turning back. So I says, all right. So they take me out. They hose me off. He brings me back home. I tell Gina to make the same deal with Bonnie, and I made the same deal. Now, from that point on, I had to come up with just about 16000 a week in VIG just to stay alive. Right, right. And, Did you, when you when they're making you... You know, take your shoes off and stand in cement buckets? No. Were you expecting to live? Or were you expecting to die? I was expecting to live. You knew that they were just doing no, this as a know. threat? I didn't know. But if I owed you, if I come to you and I borrow $10,000 mm. and I didn't pay you and you were a wise guy, mm. you'd probably kill me. Mm. But if I make a bet with you, no money, I make a bet with you and I lose the bet, you didn't give me no money. Right, right. It's, it's a big difference. Right. I asked a guy this... Two days ago, I had a guy who used to be a bookie on, and I kind of brought that up to him. I'm like, when you go take action with a bookmaker, 
and you don't uh, pay when you lose, well, he's not out anything. It's not like loan sharking. You're right, where I actually give you money and you don't pay back. I'm now out that money. That makes sense to kill yeah, a guy. Yeah, most of them bookmakers, yeah. they send these big goons out and they try rough you up a little bit and they try to get the money. But the smart ones, they do that. But if you don't pay, right? Uh, and and later on, you never you, they, they'd run right to the cops. So you're better right. off just letting them just right. not taking no more action, right? Because they didn't. But what what kills the bookmakers is that w when you win two three weeks in a row, you come and collect, and then you lose one week, you don't pay. Them are the guys that get hurt. Right. They right. get bad right. beatings. Right. Because because. The bookmaker paid when, when they, you won, yeah. but now yeah. you lost and, and you don't want to pay. And that's how that's 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 when it gets personal. Yeah. Well, well the addicted gambler can't help that. They, mm. You know, they don't think of any. They don't think of, of the after effects if right. they lose. Right. They just know they have to bet. Right. And they chase and they chase right. and the chase and it's the chase that gets you killed totally. and hurt. Right. So um, so now here you are. You owe seventeen grand a week in VIG, yeah. and in the nineteen seventies. Yeah, that's a pretty staggering amount of money by most people's standards. But well, um, what are you now? What what do you go into in order to stay alive and make well, that payment? Well, the, the problem I was the problem I was facing was um, the winter meet at Monticello was ending, so the big money was gone, mm -hmm. and I couldn't make that kind of money. One thing I left out, um, that when the winter meet first opened, uh, Tony Shula, the guy from Whitey Bulger's right. guy, came up to Monticello. And I uh, I said, what are you doing here? And he says, it's the only game in town. He goes, that's what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. So he made it, ain't you happy to see me and everything? And I wasn't going to chase him because he got me off the snide. You know, we made a lot of money. But now the winter meet ended and... Uh, I have Tony Shula there, and he says to me, I says, look, you're going to have to go back because there's no more handle here. I couldn't have him. I didn't think I could ever make the money I had to make fixing races at Monticello once the handle went back down to nothing because then I could make maybe 1000 1500 a night mm -hmm. fixing races with the small purses. So I says, you got to get out of here. So he, he says, so what about Yonkers and Roosevelt? It's right down the road. And I says, no, the whole Lucchese crew got that. There's a, the, the Lucchese crew, they, they they were fixing all the races. Isn't that, the, I'm sorry, isn't that the one you were banned from years before? Yeah, I wasn't there. I, did, I couldn't race there. Right, right, right. But now but the Lucchese's have the, control the, of it. Yeah, but Tommy was gone years ago. Right, yeah, I but see. The, his I his see. crew, right. the, some of his captains and soldiers were fixing all the races. Gotcha. So I told Shuler, I says, we can't go there, Lucchese. So Shuler, you know, like... Fuck them. I says, no, there's no fucking them. I says, this is not Boston. This is New York. Mm -hmm. And you, you won't last a minute. You go over that fucking bridge. So, um, so, uh, but what I had a plan in mind, and the plan I had in mind was that uh, uh, during the, during the, the meet, um, Charles Sotsky, the owner, said the racing commission called him up, and it was a Hall of Fame jockey called Manuel Yucaza. He broke both knees in um, a riding accident at Santa Anita Racetrack. He's through with therapy and everything else, but he can't ride no more. But he loves horses. He wants to know if I would teach him how to harness horses and drive and everything else, which I did. And he lived with me for about seven, eight months, and uh, we become very good friends. And while he was living with me, the meat was, the winter meat was coming to an end, and I knew I was going to be in trouble. 
And I says, how the fuck can I get to the guy, the jockeys at Aqueduct and Belmont, which was the biggest thoroughbred racetracks in the mm. world, with a handle of $10 million at every day, which is unbelievable. Yeah. So I knew that there was an old jockey there. I knew from some of the wise guys that there was an old jockey called Con Errico. Uh, that was he wasn't retired. He kept his license, but he was he was past his prime, and and maybe he drive ride one or two a day uh, or a week, and he used to hang out at a bar in in um, Sunnyside, Queens. So I asked Manny one day, Yukaza, I says, you know Conorico? He says, of course I know him. We're from the same. Da, 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 I know him. So I says, uh, uh, I want to meet him. I says, let's go have dinner. Where he's always hanging down there. So we go have dinner. So during dinner, Manny gets up, he goes to the bathroom, and I says, Con, I says, listen, I says, um, I, I got to talk to you about something, but I can't talk in front of Manny because you know how Ma Manny was nuts. He was crazy, straight arrow guy. Mm. So um, I says, uh, you going to be here tomorrow night? He says, yeah. So I go back the next night. I'll breeze right through this. And I says, if you go to you go to the jockey's room every day at, at, at Belmont, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know all them guys? Yeah, I know them since they're kids. I raised them all. Mm -hmm. I says, you know who you could trust, who you can't trust? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I says, you, I says now, Con, you got to tell me. You can't say yeah, 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 yeah. You have to be careful what you're saying. Don't tell me something you can't do. And if you could do what you say, we're going to make a lot of money. He says, what is it? I says every morning you get the you get the program, and whoever's the on the favorite or second choice, you offer them five thousand dollars to be worse than third. And uh, because when you fix the favorite, that's who everybody's betting on to win. Right. So when they lose, all the money's still oh. in the pool. So I says try to get four. Try to pick the races where they have less horses because the thoroughbreds sometimes they have eight, ten, uh, ten, twelve horses in mm -hmm. the race. I says, try to get the short fields. Try to get horses, races that have maybe seven, eight horses in them. Right. Get the first, second choice out. If you can get the third and fourth choice out, it'd be perfect. For every horse you get out, you get $1,000. So in other words, you get the first and second choice out, that's 5,000. Give them 5,000. Mm. 5,000, 5,000. Third and fourth choice, 2,500, 2,500. So now between the first four choices out of it, all that money in the pool, which is like two, three hundred thousand dollars, it stays there. Yeah. The rest, the remaining horses, we just box yeah. every combination. Right. Okay. Right. right. Now that will cost me five, ten, fifteen grand, and fifteen thousand. Yeah. You get another thousand for each guy, mm -hmm. so you get another four thousand. So now we're up to nineteen, twenty thousand. I'm going that's what you're gonna get. So you get four guys, you get four thousand for every race. If you do two or three a day, you'll get twenty thousand a day. That's more money than he made in two years. I said And you're making and now what I do is I take twenty, thirty thousand and I have my runners go to all OTB and into the track, so it's all spread around. And how many? And how much money does each runner put down on an OTB? Is there like a limit? That, no, there's no limit, but you have to be careful because you have to, as far as the runners go, as, as far as the runners go, you got to get a guy that knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. You got to get a gambler. Right. You got to get a street guy who's a gambler mm -hmm. because 
you, you, the lines at OTB are long. You can't get shut out. Don't ever get shut out. No. So you got to get a guy that, that knows how, how to bet, what to bet, when to bet, and when he wins. Say he wins 20000 30000 security or the managers comes up to you, and they do. Right. How'd you get the numbers? How'd you, you right. know, you, we don't have that much cash. We got to give you a check. And right. I says, accept all the checks, right. but don't answer no questions. Because right. they come and say, how'd you pick them numbers? Mm -hmm. How'd you lead the first, right. second, third, fourth choice out? The guy, you got to tell them to go fuck yourself. And mm -hmm. that's what they did. Mm -hmm. They said, I've been losing my whole fucking life. I finally get lucky. And you want to ask me, get the fuck out of mm -hmm. here. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what they right. answered them. And are, can they find these on your channel? Like, are you going to be doing episodes about these? Oh, yeah. They Great. find it. I have, I, have a, I have a website. I have. What is that website? I don't know. Okay. Well, you know what? Google Larry Rolla, but go, go buy his book, Against All Odds, and then check his YouTube out. Subscribe, like, watch these episodes. What he's given us is just a snippet. So if they go and start from the beginning, uh, you're going to hear all everything he talked about, but in much greater detail. Um, yeah, I have 17 episodes up there, and, yeah. and I, I don't think I, I got to the Lacoste show yet. Maybe, maybe I did. See, that's the problem I have, too. I don't remember what I said in the podcast before. We do three podcasts every couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't, nobody remembers. We I, talk so much, we just, you yeah, know, it becomes I, a blur. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. You recall and then let them consume, you know? Yeah, I I get a I get a lot of a lot of questions because in the beginning, I said please call in with your questions because mm -hmm. it, it helps me remember and yeah. it fills a lot of gaps. Now I get a I, I get five six hundred calls every week. Wow, emails. is that right? Keep keep going, man. And, this and, is great. Uh, well, th this this originally started because uh, Frankie Vincent, the actor Frankie mm -hmm. Vincent. He was going to be my co-host, and he was the one that got me um, uh, to California and everything. And we were going to do the we were going to do the podcast as an intro into the the TV series of the book. And then uh, COVID came and everything, and and then it just and then and then now just uh, maybe six months ago, we we started we started it again, uh, and and we were just going to start just going to do it until. We did the movie with uh, the Valango brothers. Then when Frank killed himself, that ended. So we started the podcast again as an intro to Barry O'Brien's uh, TV series. And then the writer's strike happened. So we continued doing it. I just thought we were going to do it for a, uh, because the first episodes, first couple episodes were like almost an hour. Yeah. And yeah. now that I have to do it, I just, after 20 minutes, I just go, that's enough. I'm done. Uh, and, and, it's a lot. And, and, uh, well, and you're going to find that uh, podcasting and show business is much like horse racing and gambling. You're going to have your highs. You're going to have your lows. You just got to have more highs than lows. And there you go, man. You hit three out of 10 in baseball, you're a Hall of Famer. So I, I'm looking out for the series. I think it's going to happen. It's been an incredible story thank oh, it, you for coming into the city for it man no it's my pleasure and and really go once again i'm going to say it again against all odds with larry rolla the legend uh and check out his youtube channel by the same name as well uh larry thank you so much my man i had a great time my pleasure all right take care you guys bye-bye <laughs>